Hello, and welcome to Fresh Pressed for July 28th, 2020. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and blooming grooves. Don't love that one, but didn't think of anything ahead of time. No, actually, I like the double O, like, ooh, 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 grooves, boobs. Yeah, but it makes me think of the Bloomin' Onion. Which is, you know, a great appetizer from Outback State. Outback Steakhouse? Yeah, of course. But the thing about that is, like, our theme isn't onions. So I feel like we sh- I should have saved that for when our theme is onions. Do onions bloom? They do at Outback Steakhouse. Uh, listen, I don't know why we're talking about Australia, because the theme this week is dedicated to the city of Portland, not to the country of Australia. Fair. So, Andrew, as you know, as you've been informed by me, Um, Portland is known as the City of Roses. We wanted to focus on Portland, although we're not really going to talk about anything Portland-related. It's just a great excuse for a theme, but just kind of in honor of the protest work that's been going on there over the last, well, six weeks, but specifically the past like a week and a half, which has been escalating in intensity. I'm sure many of you are aware of the extremely fucked up and shady things that the Department of Homeland Security are doing um, with just like abducting people off the streets. So in part to shout out the protesters there in the city, we're doing our theme on roses, which is the emblem of the city of Portland. Andrew, have you been to Portland? I have not ever been to Portland. Now, I've been to Portland, Maine. This is a good thing to mention because we are talking about Portland, Oregon here. Yeah. It is a gorgeous city. I went there for the first and only time in the fall of 2018, when I was visiting a friend on the north coast of Oregon, we spent some time in Portland. It's truly gorgeous there. Beautiful river, the Willamette River, the Willamette, I think the Willamette River. Lots of bridges, great donuts, and one of the oldest public rose gardens in the United States, which is the International Rose Test Garden, which is beautiful. It's like four and a half acres of roses, which is pretty large, too. You know, they've got like a big rose festival in June. Very rose-oriented climate and city. Now, Andrew, we both have, uh, I think, great, great rose songs. Great blooming songs. Great blooming songs this week. But I think we are obligated to shout out many of the other spectacular rose songs that we're not talking about on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, like Kanye has a great rose song. Uh, Outkast has a great rose song. Seal has a great rose song. I was like scrolling through rose songs. I was like, oh yeah, Edith Piaf, of course. Oh, right. <laughs> Minor song called Love You on Rose. You want to do your French for us, Andrew? No, that was that was lovely, Gabe. Oh, thank you. But we have some slightly less well-known rose songs, though they are quite good. Andrew, you brought a pretty folky track, right? This uh, song is called A Sea of Roses by the Milk Carton Kids. Lay me down in the ground Put me back into the earth Among all of my friends Under a blanket of roses A sea of flowers Overhead 
So the Milk Carton Kids are a duo. They're both singers and guitarists, Kenneth Pattengale and Joey Ryan. I think they started around 2011, and they've put out like six albums since then, which is, I feel like, pretty impressive in terms of time frame. Yeah, that is prolific, huh? Yeah. And they are just absolutely beautiful musicians. Truly stunning, both guitar work and like vocal harmonies. Who is the lead vocalist on this song? I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell you. Um, I don't know which one's which. I don't know who sings what. But uh, they both have beautiful voices, and they sing in harmony, and they both play guitar, so they seem pretty interchangeable from the outside. Anyway, <laughs> but they really have that sort of like Simon and Garfunkel-y kind of harmony vibe to them. Yeah, although I wouldn't say that Simon and Garfunkel are particularly interchangeable. No, and I don't me- actually mean that about about the Mel Carton kids. I just don't know which one's which. Whoever is kind of singing the secondary vocals in this particular song, his voice reminds me quite a bit of yours. Does it? Well, then maybe that's maybe the lead is Kenneth, because Joey looks more like me in that he's tall and skinny and currently has long hair. Oh, well, I don't know if he currently has long hair, but I currently have long hair. Yeah, and your name totally could have been Joey. Most of their stuff is uh, just the two of them playing guitar and the two of them singing in harmony together. Although the album that this song comes from, they uh, expanded into a larger band. Although, as you'll hear on this song, it's it's still pretty stripped down. I think the only additional thing beyond their two guitars is a little slide guitar in the background. And it's the slide guitar that really gives this what I would call a country aesthetic. Not in like a derogatory way. I know that sometimes among people who listen to the kind of music we listen to, country is kind of like a verboten term, but... Right, because it refers to like pop country, modern pop country, rather than... I mean, Americana is maybe the completely nonsense word that you can use that is less controversial than the word country. Yeah, that's true, although there is maybe some difficulty there with them being from like LA? What? Like, I listened to them, I was like, oh, they're definitely from, like, Tennessee. Especially because they reference Nashville in the song, right? They do. But no, they're from, like, Los Angeles County. Hey, that's America. Americana. It works. Well, sort of. I mean, if you if we're going to call it country, then the best we can say is, America is a country and they're from America. Yeah, that's not much better, I guess. Yeah. So, the album that this is from is, Gabe, you'll appreciate the length of this album title. It's called All the Things That I Did and All of the Things That I Didn't Do. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it, right? Yeah. That's just all the things. I mean, it <laughs> yeah. seems like you could just shorten it, right? Just all the things. Well, that's how they shorten the uh, title of the last track and the album. It's all the things dot dot dot. And that's the the refrain is all the things that I did and all the things that I didn't do. Well, then that's how I like it. You know, short song titles, long album titles is my preference. Right, exactly. And I, I really love the Milk Carton Kids. I think they have a beautiful sound. And what's great is that they are churning out an album every two years or so. So there's like all this new stuff all the time from them. And it's so lovely. They were in town, I think, last summer in Philly. And I was going to a bunch of other concerts like, nah, I probably won't go to that concert. And now, of course, a year later when there's no live music and there hasn't been for months and who knows when there will be again, I'm really regretting not seeing them live. With a prolific artist like that, I'm sure you will see them in Philly once that's possible again. I hope so. 
there's a couple things that I really love about this song. One is towards the end of the song, there is this um, descending like chordal line with the two guitars. It's amazing, and they throw in some like more interesting like seventh jazzier chords uh, yeah. into that progression, which is such a cool like uh, delightful contrast with the rest of the song, which is a little bit more you know, uh, straight folk harmony, but they add like this kind of modern twist on it, which I love. The other aspect of the song that I really like is one particular lyric, a field outside of Nashville pitches color to the dreariness of day. Which is like such a wonderful description of like the contrast of like incredible like summer color in that part of the country kind of one of those oppressive uh, humid days you find like a specific place outside that's just like absolutely pops i really love the way that the two of them write lyrics we've talked a little bit about this before the the ability to write a vocal line both in melody and especially in lyrics that just feels like a complete thought and does not in any way make you think about the fact that you're listening to a song and that this line has some sort of like function in the poetry of the song. For example, let's take that line, the field outside of Nashville line. You know, that's the second verse. So there's already been one verse that's like that. And I know like the place in the verse that this is and what it's setting up in the next line melodically and, and like structurally, but the way that they sing it is just so fluid and beautiful that it just feels like nothing. I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, if you just read the lyrics like I did, but also if you're just like looking at the lyric sheet, it doesn't flow in the way that some more, uh, I don't know, more contrived feeling lyrical lines flow. But the way that they sing the line completely yeah. removes any sort of like stilted impression if you're just reading it, which is a, maybe like a distinguishing feature between like good musical lyrics, good ly lyrics and music versus poetry, for instance. Or, like we've talked about with Andy Schaff, prose. The last thing that I want to mention with the Milk Carton Kids is I found this really excellent interview with them, two-part interview from uh, the Bluegrass situation when they were putting out this album. And this is one of the things that makes me really regret not seeing them live because something that I really love about them is that it seems like they have great chemistry and, Gabe, honestly, it reminds me of you and me. The interviewers like asking some questions and then there will be like a just a back and forth of the two of them like talking and arguing and making fun of one another and then like there's a total of like four questions in this entire two-part interview just because most of it's just them talking to each other which i love yeah that sounds like the kind of interview i'd enjoy and i hope that we present that sort of aesthetic to our listeners because <laughs> yeah. i guess to everybody this whole album is about in large part Kenneth Pattengill's breakup that he went through after like a seven year marriage relationship. I don't actually know the details of it. A lot of these songs, this one's obviously just straight up about death. Uh, but a lot of the other songs, including the title track are about the end of a relationship, which is a death of sorts. Right. And I think they really just like evoke some beautiful things. There's actually a thing at the end of this interview. <laughs> this is the things that I love. Joey mentions that, like, oh, the closing track, All the Things, is about your breakup. And Kenneth says, like, well, I have an issue with that because it's not that. 
Joe was like, I'm excited to see how you're going to say that you're, this song is not about the ending of your relationship. And he says, it's the opposite of that. It's not about the breakup. It's about the years of his life before then. And uh, looking back at everything now that it's over, which I think is a perspective on the breakup that they really explore very well across this whole album. And like you said, it is sort of like a death, which is why this song fits right in with, with the rest of the album. Where hills they rise for miles and miles I recognize the crying in the wind I hear people come from everywhere To say goodbye, sweet like to their kin Gabe, you have a very different Rose-related song. I sure do completely different musical aesthetic. This is Blue Rose from Amen Dunes and his 2018 record, Freedom. So we got to get the really the most important thing out of the way on this first, which is that Eamon Dunes, first of all, is uh, Damon McMahon. He's really one guy, he, like tours with some other people. He works eh, with other people on the records, but it's really just him. He's actually born in Philly, although he was mostly raised in like the Connecticut suburbs of New York City, but then went to college in uh, a small liberal arts school just outside of Philadelphia, a little school by the name of Swarthmore. Or Swarthmore. Either one. Oh, yeah, because you're from there. Come on. What? I say Swarthmore. I don't know what to tell you. So that's a nice little hometown reference for me, at least. Um, and a little bit for you, I suppose. Which I did not know until after I had chosen the song. I was like looking up his <laughs> bio, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. And he ended up starting a band in Philly, too, that didn't really last very long. And he sort of bounced around a little bit, and then hit his groove as an artist with this solo project, Damon Dunes, and this is his fifth studio record that came out in 2018. Widely critically acclaimed when it came out. Uh, gorgeous with some pretty intense themes about, specifically on this song, like masculinity and a relationship with his father. So Blue Roses, Andrew. It's my favorite flavor of nerds. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't... I, that one, I don't understand. What? No, I guess it was, I don't know. It's like blue raspberry. It doesn't matter. It doesn't that's matter. not even close. Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, it's a blue thing that's normally red. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Blue roses, Andrew, don't exist in nature. Roses don't really have the capacity to produce that pigment. Not Nothing like a true blue. The closest you can get is like something like a lilac, unless you genetically engineer, which is actually being tried. So they've developed sort of this cultural metaphor of a symbol of like mystery, of desire for something like rare and transcendent, something kind of like weird and idiosyncratic. And that longing sort of translates into this song, according to McMahon, although I don't totally understand his reasoning. Somehow he's the Blue Rose. I think what's more clear is the discussion on the song of his relationship with his father, whose name is Paul, um, and is 
called out by name in the song. I read a couple interviews with McMahon that came out following the release of this record. And he has some interesting things to say about, you know, like the relationship with his father who didn't really understand his desire to play music, um, which may be not that unusual of a concept. This song is an attempt to deal with that and literally like kind of kill off this father figure that's holding him back to some degree. But also there is some, you know, resolution. The denouement of the song like ends with, you weren't much of a man to me, but you're the only one I've ever had. Which I think is, you know, uh, can be a very complicating thing for boys and their relationships with their fathers and how the interplay with various aspects of masculinity plays out. And that's something that's further explored in the rest of the album that I find quite compelling, just from like a lyrical point of view. I wish I'd known that when I was listening to this song. It's really interesting that I, I, I didn't, I don't know, I guess I didn't pay enough attention to it. I mean, I think it's sort of a... And this is true with this whole album. It's sort of difficult to pick up on the lyrical lines without like knowing anything about the person, which can be a confounding factor to art in general, right? Yeah. Something we've discussed a little bit on this podcast before, which is the idea that art doesn't exist in a vacuum. Music does not exist in a vacuum. There is always some context, whether that's cultural or personal, surrounding it. And that's also what makes art so interesting because it can also be a reflection of your own personal aspects or cultural aspects and how you relate to that art but you know it's not obvious here that he's talking about his father until maybe like the fourth or fifth verse of the song until he says kill off my father is when you think huh maybe it's about his father (laughs) right right exactly there's also a line in the first verse where he talks about you know we play religious music and that's something that he's clarified in later interviews about like not being music about god or 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 organized religion but like as an aspect of spirituality in involvement in the musical craft and i think that's something that comes through in the album as a whole it's very meticulous that's not to say that most music isn't like well thought out but some music feels like more precise in some ways which is not necessarily better or worse it's just that's how the music is and but this is like very precise and you know, he talks about, like, here's my example of religious music. Like, I spend a half hour in the studio working on a single snare hit. You know, like, I care about that very, very specific sound, which is not necessarily something that every musician cares about. Right, right. But you get that, and then you get the interplay, I think, between the guitar and the bass and kind of how everything fits together like puzzle pieces on this song and on the entire album. Something that struck me when I was listening to this song is the sounds that feel mixed to me in terms of like geographic location. He recorded this album in both Brooklyn and in Los Angeles, which, you know, not exactly unusual places to record music these days. But it feels like like half of the sounds are New York style music. Like there's taxis and there's... There's pizza... There's Broadway. Yeah, you really get the Times Square Square. feeling. (laughs) Which, as we know, the best part of New York City is Times Square. What you're saying is like half of it tastes like Shake Shack and the other half of it tastes like In-N-Out. That's exactly what I'm saying. Thank you, Andrew, for distilling Damon McMahon's music into fast food references for um, those of you that have had both Shake Shack and In-N-Out. I've never had In-N-Out. In-N-Out's... Well regarded, obviously, on the West Coast, but a little bit controversial elsewhere. Um, 
that people have had it. It is, like, I think very good for its tier of fast food. Okay. I, I can appreciate that. But I also feel like I've sort of, I feel like the time in my life where I'm, like, dying to find the best fast food burger is far behind me at this point. Yeah, I feel the same way. I've had no Or far times. ahead of me, but it's not right now. But seriously, like, there's this mix of sounds between New York and L.A. where there's, like, kind of a, a grittier, dancier vibe that undercuts the whole song and then very washed-out synths and guitars, which give me, like, summer in Los Angeles impressions. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that does make sense. Even if it's more of a, like, stereotypical sort of, like, color palette of the two cities. Yeah. Like, grays and blues versus yellows and pinks wow I, any synesthetics i listen to the song are really going to appreciate that synesthetes it's synesthetes yes uh or they won't because they'll have a different opinion i just think that this is a great summer album in general especially if you can get out on like a day that's a little too hot and listen to it in your car so maybe everybody should try that Andrew, what was your favorite non-Taylor Swift new song from this week? There was a decent number of good stuff. Uh, not not a ton of uh, new albums that I listened to, but uh, a lot of good uh, new singles. And the one that I have selected as my favorite is entitled Losing You by the band Flight. You stripped me of everything. Now, Gabe, when you proposed the theme Roses to me, I immediately thought of, first, the song that I brought, A Sea of Roses by the Milk Carton Kids, and second, the song White Roses by Flight and the Staves. But then I was listening to the new stuff and realized that I really wanted to bring this new Flight song, so I guess I had to go with the Milk Carton Kids song for the theme. I mean, it sounds like you really got best of both worlds there. I really did, yeah. that's That, that was very exciting to me, because it was like, oh, I want to bring this Flight song, but I... I probably like this other Rose song a little better, but then I can still bring Flight. Truly delightful. What excellent timing by the band Flight to put out a single the same week that we were doing the theme of Roses. How did they know? I don't know. I didn't tell him, did you? I may have called Will Taylor up. I did want to mention two things. First of all, a correction from last week. I fucked up. Christine, friend of the pod, Christine Previous, corrected me. Orlando Bloom's character in Pirates of the Caribbean is named Will Turner and not Will Taylor. However, However, the lead singer of Flight is a different guy named Will Taylor, not the Will Taylor from last week. New Will Taylor, still not Orlando Bloom. But also British, is that right? Yes, they are English, as as they say. 
Do they? I, well, to be honest, I don't actually know anything about this band. I haven't really listened to much of their music. Flight, uh, it's spelled F-L-Y-T-E. It's a reference to Sebastian Flight from Brideshead Revisited. I guess. I, I haven't read that, so I, I don't fucking know what that who that is. But it doesn't matter. That's how you spell the band name. Still very hard to Google. There's a lot of companies that are spelled Flight, F-L-Y-T-E. They are primarily a trio, Will Taylor, John Suprin, and Nicholas Hill. They uh, showed up on my radar a few years ago when I saw a couple YouTube videos of them doing covers of, of a couple different songs. One was, I can't remember what Arcade Fire song, but they did it just like acapella in harmony. It was really beautiful and like a very echoey, I don't know, like sewer. It was cool. Nice. Good place to make music. Yeah. They also have a really lovely cover of Joni Mitchell's song River. Just two of them singing together. It's it's so beautiful. And that song obviously is so beautiful. And then the other song that is a cover that I of theirs that I really enjoy is Archie Marry Me, originally by the band. Gabe, do you know? I do not. All the Vays. Oh wow. Look at that little throwback. The most refined form of comedy. <laughs> so you've got Will Taylor and All the Vays back this week. Anyway, those are all beautiful, and they got me into their original music, which is also really great. They have one uh, full album, and this is, I think, the lead single off of their next upcoming album. And a lot of that first album, which is called The Loved Ones, is, like, very retro in a way that I enjoy. It's, like, almost like 80s pop rock kind of stuff. I don't know how to describe it, but it just has that vibe. Could you name some other 80s pop rock? I can't, which is the problem. Yeah, like it just Queen? when I listen to it, no, it doesn't sound like I can't like, name a band that it sounds like. I'm sure there are Rick some, Astley? but I just don't know enough about. I don't know, Gabe. Like Let's move Kiss? on. Yeah, they sound they sound exactly like Kiss, actually, and they also <laughs> look like Kiss. There's just something retro vibe about them, and I I feel like that's still present in this song, "Losing You," which again is is I think the lead single from their upcoming second album. There's there's some, like, charming, like, retro vibe to it that I really enjoy. This is also a breakup song. I guess the first one that I talked about was a death song from a breakup album. But this one is a breakup song, and it's very obviously a breakup song. Yeah, really hard to miss that one. There's definitely no confusion <laughs> there. Yeah, I mean, with the title and then all the lyrics that happen in it. I do like that the song opens, like, as a rebound that feels empty, which is maybe a... Slightly more unique take than like, why'd you leave? Right, yeah. What I like about this is that I I was reading about it and apparently he wrote this song a long time ago. I think he said that all the other songs on this album are like new songs, but this one is just an old one that he's had in the book for a while. On deck. And then now he felt like ready to take it on for the band. Actually, on deck is a great metaphor for um music that is waiting to be released because of tape decks yeah yeah maybe we should have been called fresh decked nope (laughs) (laughs) right after like you finish building a deck and right after i get punched in the face we record an episode (laughs) anyway uh but this song was written all of it was written like the week after the breakup in question, which was some years ago now. What's very interesting about this is that he says that 
We actually got back together, and years later it ended again, but this time the roles had been reversed. So it was his fault the second time, which is interesting. And so now he's like, it's kind of weird singing this song that was originally written, you know, about someone hurting me, and then now is about me, uh, I think about me hurting that person years later. Okay, that's a little bit crazy to put out a song about a breakup that happened, and then you got back together. Well, that's the thing, that the song was written a long time ago, so it's it's not like every song has to be about what's happening right now. No, I, I, I know, but, I mean, I guess you can't put that song out while you're still together in any way. I don't know that you can't do that either. I mean, you can do whatever you want. It just seems like a little bit rude to your partner to be like, hey, here's the song about when we broke up, do you remember? Well, sure, but like, I don't know. He wrote the song, it was a, it was a finished song, and so then... That's the state that it is forever, and and as time passes, he might have a different perspective on it, but it's still like a, in some ways, it's a time capsule of that time. No, I think that's a great point, and maybe not actually all that unusual of a construction to write the song and then put it out years later when it kind of just feels a little more right to you. It is also a great song, so I'm glad it's not like the kind of song you want to sit on for like ever. Then it comes out in some posthumous album after you die and nobody really listens to it. Nah, that's not how you want to do it. So, like you said, it starts with uh, a rebound and then it talks about this person cheating on him, which I assume means that later, years later, he cheated on her, which, again, not great, but I guess that's what happened. That's what we're going with. But it is sort of about, yeah, like the emptiness of that rebound. The thing that uh, really sealed the deal for me picking this song, which I feel like is a phrase that I said last week and possibly the week before, is the last line of every verse, which is the title line, I don't think I'll get used to losing you, specifically because of the way that it is set rhythmically. Yes. Wow. Definitely. Yes. So it's all like quarter. It's all don't think I'll get you. And my like music brain expectation all the way through that line is that at some point he's gonna like he's gonna run out of patience for it and so he's it's gonna just like syncopate it's not it's gonna stop being equal the whole way through but he gets a full eight equal beats that is so much further than i would think it would go and it's so like satisfying because it extends longer than i think it's gonna extend that that uh equal rhythm when it finally gets to the end and there's a little bit of syncopation and it sort of falls away, it's so great. Another great example of an artist like just slightly subverting your expectations and making that like musical phrase or experience wonderful. Like that's the kind of thing that's super pleasing to the ear, I think. When it's just like a little bit different, but it works so well. It's a beautiful way to write this song. I think because it's so beautiful and so distinctive and it sticks out to me so much, I can like turn around and try to put some greater meaning on that choice and maybe it represents this like he's still trying to hold on and hold on longer than he is able to, to this feeling, to this relationship, whatever. We can put all that stuff on it, but I think what it boils down to is it's surprising and it's so effective whether or not there's a greater like metaphorical meaning for the choice. The other one line that I love this is this very second to last line. It's, it's sort of like boils over into the stronger emotions. You know, the whole thing is like a little bit angry and very hurt, 
But this second last line is, you strip me of everything and I hate you, I really do. Still, I don't think I'll get used to losing you. Again, I think that underscores the success of the rhythm of that refrain, that that I hate you, I really do, like, bursts out of it. He he goes high on it and there's, like, a, a very, like, strong emphasis on the I really do and then it goes right back into that long full he doesn't shorten that he doesn't cheapen it at all he goes all the way through all of those quarter notes it's just so great I could talk about that line in 15 different ways for the next hour but I will restrict it to the last 10 minutes of me talking about that line in 15 different ways (laughs) I just wanted to highlight one last thing that I love about the song which is the guitar solo which has some incredible like effect on it. It kind of sounds like a bass even, like hard to tell because he's playing way down, like low in pitch on the guitar, which was so compelling to me and just felt like it fit really well with the aesthetic of the whole song. Gabe, what is new with you this week? So I have found... My third great record of the year by somebody named like Jess. So this is Palm Trees from Jess Cornelius and her debut record from 2020 this year, this week, titled Distance. Just to, to tick off the Jesses, if you will. Yeah, what are you? We've got um, Jesse Ware, delightful album. Jess Williamson, who I don't think I brought, but she put out a record called Sorceress, which I loved from earlier in the year. And now we have Jess Cornelius, and I believe all three of them are from different countries. Jess Cornelius hails from the country of New Zealand via Melbourne, Australia, and then to Los Angeles, where inevitably all musicians end up for some period of time in their career. Apparently so. She was like a songwriter and instrumentalist for like the synth pop duo called Teeth and Tongue. Are you familiar with them? No, not at all. Neither was I. Like a bunch of places were like, yeah, she's in Teeth and Tongue. And I was like looking up Teeth and Tongue. I'm like, this is not like a big name. Like, I think she's getting more play as a solo artist than they ever got as a group. Well, maybe they're more popular in, um, where did you say they were from? Australia. Australia. I don't know, actually, where that group's from, because she's from, she's from Wellington, New Zealand. Anyway, she's moved on from that group, it seems like, mostly, and now this is her, like, debut solo effort, and she uh, brought on some good people to work with. For this album, Distance, she works with part of Bright Eyes and Hand Habits, and I think the producer for Beach House, just kind of running the gamut of indie-related producers. And there's a great story wrapped up in her dropping one of the singles off the record, I forget which one, in June, where she's getting ready to drop the single and, uh, you know, like, do all the media for that, 
which is like mostly social media. So, you know, you get, you get like an Instagram post going. When, as she's preparing for all that, her water breaks and she goes into labor and then proceeds to write a bunch of emails and fire off an Instagram post, which you can still see that's up on her Instagram, where she says, I was going to write a whole thing about what the song is about, but apparently I'm in labor or something, so I'll leave that for another time, which is impressive to um, drop your debut album and have your first child in the span of four weeks is pretty amazing, I think. Andrew, the lyrics on this song have something of a resonance for me. Yeah, in what way? It's about, like, moving to California and the palm trees and then also being alone a lot, which is... Yeah? I mean, a state that most of the world is not currently, but, you know... Right, but before that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, before that, I'm, like fairly i mean like reasonably isolated out here compared to all the people i grew up with and all that so the lyrics really struck that particular chord if you will maybe you won't actually it's a little gauche um but you know compelling lyricism just from a personal perspective for me and you know uh, i think verse two maybe somewhere she sings and when i got to california i was seduced by the size of the sky feel this when you lived in montana like somehow being out west the sky literally feels larger yeah absolutely. because there's like no trees right yeah there's no trees and there's just like i mean in some places there's like not a lot of hills just mountains yeah i guess i mean was the part of montana you lived in considered a big sky country uh i mean it's quite near a big sky so yeah i guess to some some degree it's something that i didn't <laughs> really realized until i came out here and lived like you go out somewhere like in nature and there's just like way more space above you than if you're like for instance hiking on the east coast where everything is like hemmed in with trees right and even though like the weather to an extent emphasizes that you know like summers in philly as i'm sure you're experiencing andrew are like brutal and humid and out here much less so uh, and that kind of makes them feel more expansive to some degree. You're not like hemmed in by the fact that you're sweating through all of the clothing that you're wearing. I mean, that is something that I really noticed um, when I was living on Montana and when I would come back to the East Coast during that time or after I moved out, that suddenly everything felt like so much closer to me. <laughs> just visually walking around, even like outside, everything just like felt much closer in and, and closed in. And part of that is the, the size of the sky kind of thing. Definitely. And also, you know, how the cities are built. Right, true. This record in general has some, like, very, fairly direct lyricism. And I think on this song, she definitely goes for that route as well. There's not really much in the way of metaphor here. She's being very explicit with her feelings and her thoughts and kind of what she experienced. And then poses some interesting, important questions at the end of the song amidst an incredible crescendo of guitar and particularly drums there's like these massive drum fills that are happening in like the last third of the song and then it kind of all settles out into how much can i give you when i have none which i think is a question that anybody who's fallen in love or fallen out of love has had 
Yeah, I really love that back third of the song. I mean, this is not your rose song, but it does bloom, doesn't it? Ah, uh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, I mean, like the guitar has like these like almost like bell-like harmonic hits that really ring, and then you've got like all this kind of reverb-drenched sound, and the drums are kind of going nuts, and uh, it really opens up compared to the beginning of the song, which is like much more subdued and introspective. And the whole song, like even lyrically, it feels like it falls into these two groups. Like the first half of the song is like telling this small story and talking about ending up in a place and being very like matter of fact about it. And then like as we emerge into this incredible instrumental section that goes along with these questions, you know, to some extent, like the big instrumentals go with the big questions that she's asking here. She's also got a little bit of a sarcastic humor streak. There is a great song that immediately follows this that's very different in tenor, which is called Banging My Head. And the album is worth listening to just for that specific juxtaposition. I like the whole thing, but like that specific moment where it goes from this song into this song called Bang My Head, which is like harsh and like full of swears and like very Australian, like New Zealand and aesthetic is a lot of fun. Andrew, what are the other albums or singles that you would like to highlight for our audience this week? I really enjoyed the album from Courtney Marie Andrews called Old Flowers. Mm, Yeah. That album is a little bit more on the country. Like, I'm a little bit more comfortable calling that country. Really beautiful. A lot of great songs on there. Also, on the folk side, the album Heart's Ease by Shirley Collins. Shirley Collins is is an Irish folk singer who's been around for like 50 years and this is just a really gorgeous mature album there was an incredible record of remixes by lord finesse who is a dj titled lord finesse presents motown state of mind where he remixes a bunch of famous motown songs including like i want to be where you are from michael jackson and marvin Gaye stuff and I, which is just unbelievably fun and a really good record. Also wanted to point out this record from George Clanton and Nick Hexum, who neither of whom I was familiar with. That's George Clanton, by the way, with an A, <laughs> not George Clinton, the funk artist, is best described as like vaporwave. Um, are you familiar with this music genre and aesthetic, Andrew? Yeah, vaporwave. If you're not, this would be an interesting uh, introduction. It's explosive and like if it were a painting it would be neon colors splattered onto a white canvas <laughs> um that's our show for the week thank you for whoa, tuning whoa, oh. whoa 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 you want to do taylor swift we gotta mention taylor swift oh i mean i did reference okay andrew there was one other um indie record released this week that made some some waves in the musical world. Some waves, as they say, yeah. Have you listened to the new Taylor Swift? Yes, I have listened to the new Taylor Swift. Have you listened to the new Taylor Swift? I have listened to Taylor Swift. 
I just want to read to our listeners this quote from Stereogum. It was hilarious. It's a positive review that they're giving her, but Stereogum says, Swift has gone full NPR core indie. I don't think she's gone full NPR core indie, but she's certainly on the way. So, I mean, the most notable thing, everyone is aware of this album, but just in case you're not, Taylor Swift releases a surprise album Friday night entitled Folklore. And the most notable thing about it is that 11 of the 16 tracks are produced and co-written by Aaron Dessner of The National and Big Red Machine. And as a result, it has a lot of those indie vibes to it. Listen, Justin Vernon is featured on a track. I mean, yeah, but even that is not the most indie vibes track to me. That's true. Kanye worked with Justin Vernon 10 years ago. Um, And I actually don't really like that song, to be honest. It's not very good. I mean, it's it's still Taylor Swift, the whole thing. So it's still like, you know, it's still like pop music. But the musical palette behind it is something that I am a lot more interested in. So that's why I listened to a whole Taylor Swift album this week. Because I, I don't normally like her music. But I got into it because a lot of the sounds were nice to my ears. I don't know, Gabe, what you thought of it as a whole. I mean, I think it's a probably a good album. It's not something that I'm super interested in just because of the genre of it yeah i i think it's a good record and i enjoyed it i don't think it's competing for any album of the year awards i mean yeah certainly not for me but uh yeah i mean it's i think it's a good i think it's a good pop album yeah definitely and i think it's a great demonstration of her willingness to explore and transition which she's done repeatedly throughout her career and and i do think it's one of her three best albums but i don't think it's better than like Red, for instance, which is a pop classic, or, or 1989. And I do like her popular music, but it was really cool to hear her like songwriting style and vocals over essentially Big Red Machine backing tracks. Right, yeah. I was, I was talking to a friend about this. This is like the first like Taylor Swift album that I've listened to beginning to end and like on purpose. I don't I don't know a lot about Taylor Swift to be honest other than like the big hits and I don't pay a lot of attention to them anyway but I I found like a lot of her lyrics were like pretty good on this and I don't know if that's that she's always been very good but I just have never listened to what she's said and I was more open to it because of the presentation here but I did I did like a lot of her lyrics I had a friend that described this album as her first quote adult record which I think is a little bit unfair. Yeah, I think that is a little bit unfair. What he meant was like, it's a slightly more serious tone and more focused on the songwriting craft than on like vocal hooks. She is undoubtedly a talented artist. I mean, just to have the staying power she's had over the last like 15 years. I'm interested to see where she goes from here. This is a really cool way to roll out an album like this. Like so basically surprise release. We found out, what, Thursday morning that this album was coming out? <laughs> yeah, at midnight that night. Yeah. I will say that my favorite track on the album by far is Peace, which is the second to last track. And that's primarily because of, you know, Aaron Dessner produced and co-wrote 11 of 16 tracks. And it's clear on some that's like, okay, this is not one that he did. This is one that Jack Antonoff did, who's like a, a pop producer that has worked with Taylor Swift before. This one, <laughs> this one, I would not have like guessed that it's Taylor Swift but would have immediately guessed that it was Aaron Dessner. The way that the guitar is is put in there is is so beautiful and exactly the kind of indie production that I love. So, Peace is my 
pick from from folklore i mean i can't disagree with you i think it's far and away the standout song on the record well if you're a fan of our podcast and you managed to get through that lovely discussion on taylor swift i congratulate you and now we will be signing off thank you for listening to the show this week you can follow us on twitter at fresh breast pod we have a spotify playlist with our various picks um, over the last nine months of the recording of this podcast and we will be back with more tunes and more grooves on August 4th. But for now, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Pressed. Fresh Pressed.